Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hey everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode 16. I am your lived experience host Joe Ambridge. And I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor Mark Fielding and co-host. Um, I'm based in UK and Joey's based in, in Melbourne, Australia. Yep. <laughs> um, and today's episode is based on grief and loss. Um, so I've got these uh, information off of Beyond Blue. Um, grief is a natural response to loss. It might be the loss of a loved one, relationship, pregnancy, pet, job or way of life. Other experiences of loss may be due to children leaving home. I'm sure my mum will disagree with that. <laughs> um, infertility um, and separation from friends and family. The more significant the loss, the more intense the grief is likely to be. And grief is expressed in many ways. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that is really true. Everyone's grief process is so individual. And, I can, and, and it can affect every part of somebody's life, emotions, thoughts and behaviour beliefs, physical health, sense of self and identity and relationship with others. Grief can leave people feeling sad, angry, anxious, shocked, regretful, relieved, overwhelmed, isolated, irritable or numb. And, you know, people within the grief process can experience, obviously, you know, many of these different feelings. Um, and as a couple, before we introduce our guests, there's a couple of... Um, films and little things that have been on iPlayer in the UK that I want to refer to for people that want to know a little bit more about grief. Um, there's a little program called BBC Stories Like Minds and it tells you how grief changes over time. It's really interesting and if you haven't seen it already, uh, go and check it out on iPlayer now. Um, and there's another film that's on Netflix. It's called If Anything Happens, I Love You and it's about the aftermath of a uh, school shooting. Um, and it's the story of two grieving parents as they journey, journey through an emotional void as they mourn the loss of their child. And it's a little animation with some beautiful music over the top. Um, it's definitely worth checking out on YouTube. Um, and now I'd like to introduce our guest. He's the author of uh, his recently, I think, recently published book called Imagine and is due to release another book soon. Um, like to introduce Richard Harris. Hi, Richard, and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Joe and Mark. Yeah, lovely to be here with you. Thanks so much. Um, if you could just give us like a little uh, your mental health journey, basically, and your story in relation to grief and loss. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, my my biggest journey with grief, um, I guess, started right at the beginning of the COVID times. My um, my wife um, died in February last year, so February 2020. And she, she was, you know, we were married 29 years, um, together 30 years, and uh, had two beautiful kids. Um, they're adult kids now. And uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 39. Um, she was just a, a really positive person, though. She she just got on with life and, and uh, that changed our lives enormously that diagnosis because it was a serious business i mean she had surgery radiation chemotherapy and the threat of death and mortality was sort of on us even back then with the pathology that she had but she had seven good really good years and then um, had a recurrence and um, still 
just bounced back, had the appropriate treatment, and uh, then probably another four or five years after that, started getting metastases in various places, bones, uh, lungs, and um, ultimately in the liver. But she she bounced back from the, the bones and the lungs. She didn't have any trouble with. She just sailed through, had the appropriate treatment, had it all under control. But um, really just the last month of her life in January, February 2020, she was really, really sick. And, and then from there, um, you know, we lost her in February at the age of 57. So she had 18 years uh, of the cancer, but she didn't. You wouldn't know, you know, nobody would, she, nobody would sort of suspect that she was weighed down by it. She was a very positive person and um, very generous in her, in her own nature. So she, she was a great example, but also then a great loss to us because, because of that. So it's been, um, yeah, with the relative isolation, everyone I think is going through at the moment with lockdowns, uh, particularly in Sydney and, and Melbourne's had a lot. Her best friend lives in Melbourne and uh, it was really tough, you know, grieving, you know, through that, that early period. Um, in some ways it was good because my son got stuck with me. He's a, he's a med student. He got stuck um, with me for that year, which was, which was a kind of nice journey for us to work our way through some of that early grief which is pretty tough but um yeah so the, the, i've remained functional I, I don't i don't i haven't had formal counseling i probably should have um but got on with life i'm a busy vascular surgeon as well as being an author so it's uh yeah i, I guess coping but um yeah maybe not thriving in that yeah i mean just first of all just you know i just want to say you know just we're so sorry for i mean what is an enormous loss to yeah. you all i don't be struck by what you said about you know your, your son and you you know sharing kind of lockdown and you know going through the grief process together supporting each other i mean just as much as you're happy to talk about richard i wonder if maybe you could maybe talk a little bit more about that how that was for you both yeah, um, in a way, I actually almost was the third wheel in the house because he had his girlfriend here. So, you know, but it was now the house is empty. So I'm a true empty nester now. But that that first few months was kind of wonderful because it was so boring. I mean, there wasn't much work to, to do. We were kind of stuck at home. We were worried about the virus and um, getting through those. <clears throat> we managed to have a, a small service. It was just at the start of the COVID kind of era and uh, we had a bit of a wake and, you know, but we didn't have the big kind of funeral, I guess, or celebration of her life that we intended to have. Still haven't been able to do that properly. Um, still have her ashes in the house and don't know quite what to do with it, although she did um, very much want to be put out somewhere in, somewhere in some beautiful part of nature. So... That's something that we've got to face. And I don't like, I don't think there's any particular way of doing it, grief. And, and from what I understand, what I read, you do it as you as you see fit. I mean, 
the house hasn't changed much or her clothes are still in the cupboard. And I know some people get rid of it straight away and other people leave it for 10 years. And um, so these sort of things you kind of work through and you panic a little bit early on. So you do all the paths and make everything clean around the house. And, um, and then you realize, well, you're getting on with life and you know how you do that and where you go. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was it was nice the two of us. You know, uh, and I've got an older daughter, a slightly older daughter who was already or already moved out of home. It's kind of wonderful that they both got to know her as an adult. You know that they she didn't they didn't lose her as as little kids. Uh, it was really important, I think. Yeah, yeah something um, me and Mark were discussing on our last episode. Um, never really taught how to deal with grief and I think still today there's never really like the appropriate way to deal with it and an easy way to deal with it yeah yeah I I I heard that last week too and and um could relate to it very much the um yeah I think everybody does it slightly differently and that's fine and uh, I fortunately have amazing friends and amazing family um pretty isolated at the moment i gotta say you kind of get a bit sick of your own company in these lockdown times when you're in the house on your own um but you've just got to find things to do and um things to stimulate you and and to try and be as positive as possible i've generally been a pretty positive person in life um but it has hit me this has has been a really interesting, tough experience, losing your best friend. You kind of look around and you just picture her there at eight o'clock at night um, on, the, on the lounge with her iPad, feet up, you want a cup of tea, love sort of thing. And she's not there. So, but you, you kind of say it in your head, not quite going mad yet, but um, yeah, it's, it's just the way you cope, I think. Yeah. you can't you shouldn't avoid the memories and you sh should celebrate the life and she was a she was a very nice person to to know all those years she's a great girl and i really resonate with what you're saying about the grief process you know there's so much written about grief there's elizabeth kubler ross i don't know if you're familiar with her richard but yeah. you know, she wrote quite a lot of you know really beautiful books i think about loss yeah. But I, th I think for me as a therapist, you know, having worked with lots of people, you know, and also experiencing my, you know, experience my own losses in my life, it, it is really individual. And I think, you know, something I often suggest is just to accept each moment as it is, because lots of feelings will come up, you know, they, they perhaps won't be joined up, you know, someone can feel okay one minute, angry the next minute, you know, also, there's something about just accepting the process really yeah. rather than expecting you know to feel better you know by x point or you know it, it is really individual Richard everyone grieves in such a different way don't they yeah they, that's very true uh, I am um, yeah I, I'm not in any rush to kind of jump into any anything crazy or if I if I do find another partner in life it's it's going to be something pretty incredible and amazing and I'm not in any hurry to do that. So it's, I do miss that companionship though. It's, that, it's a big thing. And I know the vast majority of men, uh, from what I understand, get into another relationship quite quickly after divorce or, or death of their spouse. And 
um, yeah, there's just, I wasn't in that headspace to, to even think about that type of thing. How were others, others, Richard, in terms of offering support and, you know, and then where were you in terms of, you know, kind of reaching out and asking for support and accepting that support? I just wonder what, what will that process look like? And of course, the pandemic is also part of that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think um, people like there is that natural curve of people being in the house in the first couple of weeks. You've got flowers everywhere. You've got uh, this incredible outpouring of love and remembrance. Um, but you know what? She, she she had such an impact on people's lives that when you come across people in social settings that know her, um, there's this outpouring of emotion and and great memories. And it, you know, you, that's kind of part of part of the joy, really, of a, of grieving in a way <laughs> that, that you yeah. you have those great memories. So you know, when when I when I go out with with her or our friends, it's it's just natural for her to come up and um, yeah, she's yeah, she's just very widely loved. So, but, and I, I, you know, I've also got good, good um, support with friends and around, and that's incredibly important to maintain contact. I'm, I'm also pretty social in, in, in general, in kind of on the net as well. And I, I like my Twitter, and I like my creativity and my poetry and, and witticisms, and um, putting myself out there a little bit. And I do come across all sorts of people from all over the world. Um, in that in that sense so that's kind of a distraction if you like uh, uh, away from work and um, you can't watch Netflix all the time so that's, <laughs> yeah I mean, do you see sorry Carol. <laughs> yeah do you right, see too. them as coping strategies yeah I, I, I think there's some of them are bad habits um, you know like uh, doing so with the, the the novel I've written you know in terms of I, I was a complete novice coming into that um, writing it was wonderful and, and Tina was an incredible part of me writing that novel because she gave me the space and, and support to go to go away and down down to the beach and sit down and write write these two novels one on a Thursday and one on a Friday and I just worked as a surgeon Monday to Wednesday and and Tina was very accepting of that and, and just very supportive of that. Um, in fact, I'm really struggling to write now because I don't know quite why. That's, I'm sure that's part of the brain um, wreckage that comes from, you know, missing that person in your life. But she, uh, she was just that constant. You'd come home and say, oh, I wrote a thousand words today and, and you'd get that support. And um, But now I'm kind of trying to, get it out there a little bit and and you know you've got your instagram and your tiktok and your twitter and all this sort of jazz and yeah it could actually be really quite a bad habit in, in the sense um that you're not in the real world as much but in a way we can't really be in the real world at the moment you know in sydney and melbourne anyway so um kind of works out a little bit yeah but yeah i don't know how how bad a, a bad a uh, screen time problem that 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 represents and you know away from real i do try and maintain my real friends though as well 
I mean, I, I guess with social media, you know, personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably like anything, positives and negatives. A lot of people, you know, get a, a lot of support, I think, from from Twitter, Facebook, you know, and other social medias. But then, of course, there is the, you know, the addictive nature of it and the, the constant scrolling. So I guess it's, yeah. you know, positive and negative. You, you mentioned the you, your book. I mean, I wonder whether you, you wanted to tell us a little bit more about that and, and your creative process. Yeah, I mean, the um, the first book I published is called Imagine, uh, Imagine a Novel, and it's based on John Lennon's song, Imagine. And uh, it basically takes the, the real world as it is. And, and I, I guess I picked on trouble spots around the world and, and turned it into John Lennon's world. So I've, I've almost had a combination of sci-fi romance, a whole bunch of contemporary literature genres, put it all together and turned it into this um, series of stories that interweave like a, almost like a song with harmony and verse and uh, chorus and verse um, talking back into each other. And there's, there's very much a theme of uh, ocean and waves and how uh, that changes people. And uh, it changes people into, in this novel, into intelligent, cooperative, rational beings that, that then are able to transform the world into Lenin's world. So it's, it's kind of like a, it is a radical book because it's, it's almost a political manifesto of, of radical love. And um, uh, so, I mean, it is a, it's a bit of a hippie song, John Lennon's song. And, you know, if you took it everything to the end stage of, of what he says, which I try to do in the book, I try to be faithful to the song. And you saw even in the Olympics the other day, it was at the 2012 Olympics in London, I think. And then it was back again in, in um, Tokyo um, as sort of one of the main themes of world unity and it's it's a beautiful song i mean it's it resonates with people and and um so the book aims to kind of mirror that uh, turn that song into a novel um so it's, it was a great creative joy to make and and um and getting people's feedback on it is is really incredible as well people are enjoying it and saying oh i'd like to live in that world um i was reading about uh ceo salaries today there was just to give you an example as i think uh, there was was in the uk or in, in america there was a ceo earning 1319 times the the average wage of the employees in the company and uh and that's reflected in in our world quite a bit and in my in my world which i got to make up you know everybody earns you know this amazing wage but you can earn five times more than everybody else if you are clever and you're diligent and you're you're doing things a little bit better than than other people but you can't earn 1300 times more um so i've kind of just used what i kind of feel would be an a utopian real world and and um, made a, a fictional uh story around that yeah yeah but, i mean um, i don't, I don't I really, I've always loved that song. And, uh, you know, I love the world that you're painting. Well, wouldn't it be amazing to live in that world? I guess that world is possible, but we're a long way away from it. I, mean, I guess it must have been, I mean, in terms of creating this work, what was that like for you, creating this, you know, kind of utopia in, in your mind? Yeah. I just wonder the effect on you. It must have, it must have been 
it must have had an enormous effect while you're within the creative process and creating it. Yeah, I mean, if you think of the world's trouble spots, I mean, uh, the first chapter is set in Afghanistan. And if you can imagine a world five years after this sci-fi event or this event happens that these scientists in California invent a, a way to change people's brains and put these waves out um, to change people's behavior and intelligence. And basically, you know, you've got that kite runner scene in, in uh, Afghanistan where, where the kids are uh, playing with, with kites up in the air and, and then, but basically there's no guns in sight that, that, that that's gone. And that became incredibly relevant this week, you know, that, mm. that whole chapter. And there's, there's another chapter in there where in Afghanistan, where people are skiing, it's like this beautiful ski resort, um, you know, just enjoying the amazing mountains they've actually got there, but they've got these giant Buddhas that the Taliban have kind of uh, knocked over and, and bombed and, you know, turning that, that into a, a nice Afghanistan was pretty easy. Um, then you got sort of more subtle things like Chicago or even Australia, there's, there's lots to improve in Australia. So, um, you know, that sort of cross-linkage between indigenous culture and our, and well, a more Western culture is such a huge thing that we've got to work on in the next hundred years, I think to understand and, and to incorporate um, the dream time into, into our world. But yeah, that was, that was an emphasis. And if I was gonna write another third novel, I think I'd really concentrate on, on that, that link between you know, dream time and, and our world. So that's, that's the next project, I think. But yeah, it was a creative joy. I mean, I spent six, seven, eight hours researching all day, you, you'd go on, on Google Earth and look at Afghanistani markets or how the Taliban cook meals because there's a scene in there where there's a Taliban cooking class and they go up on a helicopter from this beautiful winery and go up onto the, the escarpment where the Taliban are but they're not there to shoot them they're there to give them a cooking lesson so it's um you know it's that kind of feel to it it's just a complete transformation of our world China. I mean, there's a chapter on uh, the the um, wet in Western China with the the Muslim population there that's being suppressed, and that turns around. So, I hope I don't get taken by the by the uh, Chinese government next time I visit Beijing. I don't know that I will visit Beijing, but uh, again, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, what a beautiful concept. I mean, this is a bit of a jump to something else, but. There's a there's a there's a really beautiful book by um, I'm blocking on his name. I think it's Matteo Ricard. He's used to be a scientist and a physical particle physicist, and then he became a Buddhist monk on altruism. And it's a bit of a tone, but it's the most beautiful book, you know. And he and the argument is that human beings are fundamentally altruistic, which I think is absolutely true, you know. And yeah. it kind of it really kind of speaks to what you're saying around this is utopian vision you've created for the future, well, yeah. for the world, for the future. Yeah, there's a good book like that written by a Dutchman to Bergman, Bergman or Bregman, and um, brilliant, saying that the fundamentals of humanity are actually quite good. And, mm. and you know, a lot of evidence and psychological testing that, that humans basically are pretty, pretty good, actually, and would choose the altruistic way, if, you know, given the chance most, most of the time. Mm. But, um, 
yeah, a lot of the problems with the power structure and, you know, I think John, John Lennon was onto it a little bit, you know, with the whole concept of countries and, and religions. I mean, I'm not against religion in, in the overall sense, but th there is a theme of bringing the best of all the religions into one kind of spirituality rather than the division that, that religions create. So. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a kind of it's a whole primate in-group out-group thing isn't it that I think humans just need to get away from you know I mean they you know all religions are you know beautiful they speak of love don't they and but it's just you know it's just often you know it's the in-group out-group thing isn't it you know you, you, yeah. you're this or you're that you know I think humans really need to evolve beyond that you know if, if we're gonna if we're gonna succeed as or even survive as a species we, we just need to evolve beyond that really yeah yeah Absolutely. Can I just just wanted to ask about your creative process and linking it into you know to the loss that you've experienced and and just whether whether it's you know been helpful to be you know to be someone who is creative and has that perhaps you know that that world to to move into has that been of help? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I think uh, I see some people bottle things up way too much and and get into all sorts of trouble with anxiety and depression and um, being expressive. I mean, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to get depressed, but um, I think it's been helpful for me for sure, because I, I pretty much get my thoughts out in some sort of word form almost every day. Uh, whether I can get the eight hours of concentrating to finish this damn second novel um, that I really need to do. And I've got a week off now and I'm really determined to get back into the habits of writing, which means having a space, having time and having dedication to, to doing it. Um, but in terms of in general expression, yeah, I do that every day and, and probably over-express uh, to, to my friends, my 40,000 followers on Twitter. I, I'm sure I, you know, people go, what is he talking about today? You know, like what, what emotional <laughs> or craziness he's going through. But, um, but I think it's good. You know, I think uh, expression is really important and it's been really important for me. And getting, um, I mean, the second book's also, it's a historical romance. So it's, um, yeah, it's talking about uh, 1066 and it's based in the 11th century. So great, great history because there's a lot known about it, but there's also a lot not known about it. So you can you can put the odd dragon in or the odd, you know, amazing uh, scene at, at Stonehenge because we don't really know what what happened. Um, and the Normans were quite quite incredible. They were all over the place in Italy and um, Spain, and so it, it, it's a great um, vehicle to to do a historical piece. And so I'm enjoying that, but I've. I've got to get the discipline to, yeah, you can't just sort of say, oh, I can, you know, I can do it. You have to be in the mental space to, to really work and have that time. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm working on getting my brain around sitting down for eight hours and, and working on that. Yeah. Well, I can still do surgery. Surgery is kind of a bit more robotic or, mm -hmm. um, it's very caring. I mean, I'm very, I love my patients and I love my job, um, but it is, is very, um, it's very physically and emotionally consuming in itself. Um, it also has kept me sane, I think, because 
um, it's it is demanding. So it, it takes takes away all the other all the other things. Um, one of the things we discussed with our guest yesterday on our last episode, she lost her husband, and obviously you guys you were talking about having kids and stuff. How are your kids kind of coped with losing their mum and? Um, did they ever have like moments and um, one of the things she mentioned was her uh, kids are doing all these wonderful things and they're sending her photos and saying oh I wish my dad my dad could have seen it do you have those moments with your children yeah yeah for sure my my kids are, are absolutely gorgeous people um, they're both in stable relationships and so they get a lot of support there but they're also very conscious of me and the wider family so Tina uh, Tina's mum uh, lost her husband about five or six years ago. Still, still very much alive, and but quite a little bit isolated further up the coast, um, and just devastated by losing her her daughter. So, we've all been conscious to to be supportive of, of her as well. But my kids, especially, you know, have been there. Um, and yeah, we've we've had lots of time together like we're regularly getting together with my my two kids and and their partners as well but um we have our little phone messages almost every day and in terms of memories yeah we have moments where it's just overwhelming that that we cry we hug we 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 miss her a lot and but the kids are you know they're, they're they're coping pretty well but they were so close to her. They, were, they just loved her so much. And I think particularly for my daughter, you know, um, it was an amazing loss. But in some ways, she had enough time to get that role model to be a little bit the matriarch and to fill, fulfill that role in the, in the family. So she's, she gets people together and she, um, you know, has that, that role that Tina, you know, had done. So I think, yeah, very sad for them um, because they, they missed out on Tina being there for their weddings, which aren't that far away, grandchildren. And, and she sees, my daughter sees uh, other older couples or um, grandparenty sort of situations. And, and it's, she, that's when she really kind of loses it, um, that she won't have that. Yeah. And it, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it sounds as though you have a really wonderful relationship with, with, with both of your children. And that's obviously important for all of you, isn't it? You'll all reach out, you'll all cry together, you'll laugh together, you'll remember together. Yeah. I mean, that must yeah. be really, really nourishing for you all, you know, at this time. Yeah, I, I, I feel very lucky that, that we are close and, and they're both, you know, they're just lovely people. They're, they're sensible uh, my son's a med student. He's going to be, a, I don't know what, he, he wants to be a surgeon. He's, he's putting uh, vaccines in people up in Dungog at the moment in a country town and um, chopping out skin cancers. And um, so he's a th in the middle of training, like third year med and, and loving it. And uh, yeah, he's such a great kid. So he'll, he'll make a, a really good doctor as well. Um, my daughter's just this diligent, amazing professional as well and uh, but yeah just good people you know with great friends and you know whenever they have their their friends over you can you know that's quality 
great people. So they've, they've got good support networks as well. Yeah. And I think there's something. Yeah, I think I think there's something about your openness, Richard, as well. We're getting a bit of feedback, but you know, something that Joe and I have talked a lot about on the show. You know, almost every episode really is. You know, I mean, men. You know, you 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 are not. You know, you don't fit this description. But I mean, generally, men for you know many many different different reasons, society and the messages is part of that, isn't it? Of course. You know, at, at times of crisis, they will just withdraw and internalize. I mean, this is not what you've done. It's not always, you know, the most helpful thing to do. You know, reaching out is, you know, off, you know, always. I would say the most helpful. But men don't always do that. Yeah, you know, just shut themselves away and internalize and try and cope. And there's a lot of shame around men feeling bad. You know, it's not okay to feel not okay with men. You know, and this is completely the opposite of what you've done. Yeah, um, I guess you still have to be wary that you can do that uh, to a certain extent. Um, has to be yeah. the right, has to be the right people, of course. But yeah, yeah, but um, sort of not, not um, kind of getting too accept, accepting of being on your own all the time. And yeah, uh, I think it's good to get sick of your company, of your own company, every now and again. And uh, I'm, I think I'm looking forward to this country opening up and. I'm sure you're enjoying London or, or England having opened up a bit and um, a little bit more back to normal, or is it not quite there yet? It's a no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably subject for a whole other podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, there I are for an recovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not perfect here either, suffice to say. But yeah, things are a lot more open, which is good. You know, people are not kind of confined to their own homes, you know, which is obviously massively beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe would have been through a lot in Melbourne, I'd imagine. All these lockdowns. So over it. I haven't seen my family in two years. Uh, Back home in London. Yeah. It has affected a lot of people. I know so many people. Like my my one of my best friends, I won't name him because I'm sure it wouldn't be named. He lost his granddad and they couldn't even go and see him to say goodbye. So they had to do a FaceTime. Um and he's based in London and like they had a little bit of a few, little funeral, but like it, it's probably not the same as having all those people there to s- celebrate that person's life and say their goodbyes. And like I, I went to a funeral of the my partner's one of my partner's family members died a couple of years ago, and just the difference. Like going to a funeral where loads of people can turn turn up, you can go and hug each other and say goodbyes and celebrate life. It's so much different now and it probably does make grieving a lot harder for a lot of people and losing a family member yeah. or a friend. It's a lot harder because of the pandemic and there's a lot more loss because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think we were incredibly lucky in a way that um, it was just before really, there was almost a week and then they cut funerals down to 10 and then basically stopped them a few weeks later. It was we were i think we were allowed 30 uh, which was kind of okay you know at, at that initial saying goodbye and then we all went back to blues point hotel and had a few beers and and you know just you know i guess we're all in shock at that stage it's just mm-hmm. she she never even the day before she um died she actually came home for three hours um, sat on the backyard, hadn't been home for about two or three weeks, 
um, saw the dog and then could barely kind of get back into, into her bed in the hospital that night. I think it really took it out of her. And then she was basically woke up almost in a coma the next day, but it, she was, you know, she was so sick. And, and yet we were, we kind of, in, we were in like a medical family. She's a nurse too, but we we're all in denial the whole time, like a positive denial in a way, but um, it, it kind of makes it more of a shock when it actually happens. I think if you, you're not accepting that somebody's going to die and maybe you don't talk about everything that you maybe should have talked about. We did have some pretty good conversations about, you know, what she wanted, but um, I think that is an important area. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how good or how bad that sort of positive denialism really is, but it certainly made us live life a lot more. So we didn't have three weeks holiday a year. We had nine or 12 weeks holiday a year. Um, and we traveled and the whole family had these adventures together for those 18 years. And that was right at the start of my surgical consultant career. And so it wasn't like I was gonna go crazy doing that. I wanted to have a life with, with my family and with, but with Tina. But um, I guess in the back of our minds, we thought, yeah, it's something horrible could happen. Yeah, but I don't really hear you about the positive, about the positive denial. Yeah, I mean denial can be can be positive, you know, just just putting it out of out of your mind so you can you, know, you can all get on and enjoy each other and have experiences yeah. together. I mean, I, I really hear that. It can be yeah. positive. It's not always a negative thing, really. Denial. Yeah. I mean, when when you get a, get news, oh, you've got positive uh, bone mets, and that's like four years or five years or something before she passed away, and you're sitting there with your kids and your wife in the local pub restaurant and well we just get on with it and 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 that's exactly what she did she just had the treatment and she basically killed off these metastases i was surprised because when a medical mind i thought you got metastases everywhere you're going to die in a month or two or that that was my i'm a i'm a vascular surgeon not an oncologist but um yeah that's just not how it happened that she she lived through all these um, years of having this stuff everywhere, not curable, not yet. You know, they're sort of talking about different immune treatments and other ways of doing things, and hopefully they will find a cure for that situation. But I think there is a lot of people out there living with these sort of things hanging over their heads, but living. You know? Did, did, you, did you feel the positive mental, you know, really kind of, you know, holding on to, you know, a positive mental attitude and really kind of look forward looking and wanting to live your life that, 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 that may affect the body that, that perhaps people that, I mean, it, it's incredibly difficult, of course, isn't it, you know, for people to do yeah. this, but that, that, that it does have an effect really on the body. It does help people to be resilient. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've, they've done sort of studies about prayer. They've done about laughing. Uh, there's a various sort of studies where they've tried to see what the impact of things like that are, and they haven't actually found anything. So I don't know. But like my, my personal experience is, yeah, maybe, you know, that, that, that she wanted to see her kids grow up and she, um, you know, but then she wanted to live another 10 years, you know, she wanted to see yeah. the grandkids. And, 
So I don't know. It's a bit of a mixed one for me, that one. She definitely didn't lose a positive attitude even. Really, she didn't mention dying much, even in the last couple of weeks of her life, which I don't know. I don't know if that was, you know, she was kind of saying goodbye to some people. Yeah. Uh, in her way. Um, she certainly was very sick. We didn't we didn't want to know about it. She didn't want to know, seem to want to know about it with us. We're just, yeah, come on, you can have a little walk, you can have a little bit of eat, something to eat. And oh, you know, it's it was a tough month. Yeah. I mean, thanks so much for share, sharing. I mean, such, such a difficult thing to talk about. I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing. I, I just wonder if there's anything that you, you'd like to maybe maybe say that perhaps we haven't asked about or? Well, I, look, I think um, what you guys are doing is just, is really important, is, is, is talking about these things and getting, letting people tell their story. And, and um, you know, I've, I really, enjoy what you guys are doing and congratulate you. I think it's great. So, uh, you know, I, th I think expression is, is pretty wonderful and, uh, and, and you're allowing people to do that. And that's really, really important. Um, just want to um, obviously touch back on your book. Um, where can people, our listeners obviously will probably want to know where you can purchase the book, what websites and where can you yeah. get it from? So um, there's there's uh, the probably the easiest thing is Amazon. Uh, Imagine a novel by Richard A. Harris. Um, website's kind of interesting too. A little bit about Tina in there. Uh, RichardAHarris.com. Um, yeah, but you can you can ask at your local bookstore if they're a good bookstore that can get it in for you. So um, they're they're the kind of main ways. But probably Amazon's probably the easiest. Oh, we'll, we'll share yeah. our it's a good read. Links. It's a good read. Yeah, I really like the context of the book as well. I was telling Mark just before we start recording. It sounds like such an interesting book and such a beautiful story, like imagining the world where we don't have all these issues and stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll share the links and stuff on our socials when the episode's released. Um, just want to say again, thank you so much for sharing. Um, uh, it's really brave of you to share, especially after you lost someone. It's, such a hard thing to kind of express yourself and share your story with others and it will help other people to kind of come to terms with their own grief hopefully and um the last thing I kind of wanted to add as well like um as I said before do you feel like um grief and stuff should be taught in schools how to cope with grief yeah absolutely absolutely it's um it's definitely as I heard you guys talking about last week it's hidden away and um, how to cope with it is hidden away. And, you know, I've, I've, I haven't done a lot of reading. I've, I've done a bit of psychology at, at uni, but I did read a, a couple of little beautiful books about grief during the year and just that kind of permission to do it your way is so important. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the, the crucial thing is, is, is knowing how to, how to feel free to do it, to, to, to grieve your way. But um, I think people should feel more comfortable and, and I haven't done it really. And my kids have probably done a little, my daughter particularly has done it a bit better seeing a grief counselor. Uh, I, 
I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I have enough grief counselors in my life, but but I I think that's definitely something that people should be aware of and and feel comfortable going to to do and see. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, let's wait for the feedback to go. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for joining us, and um, we will share the episode with you once it's out and share all your links. Um, and I want to say thank you again to Mark for helping me co-host just again. Yeah, um, pleasure. And if, as I mentioned with any episode, if anyone's been affected by any of the issues that are mentioned in this episode, um, please try and contact your local helpline, whether it's Lifeline, uh, Samaritans. Um, there is someone out there for you to talk to, and there's all kinds of support networks out there to help you cope. Um, and stay tuned for the next episode um which hopefully we'll be bringing you next week um we've got another special guest um and see you <laughs> next episode thank you guys thanks good to meet you likewise thank well, you. To talk to you thanks so take, much take care if you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes please contact your local or country's helpline, you'll find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritans, suicide helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or doctor there's someone to talk to i've been in that position before and talking to someone really does help it's okay to not be okay and i will see you in the next episode